Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage. Mark Isaac Williams is a wonderful botanical artist who was born in Hong Kong in 1939. Mark's new book, The Hong Kong I Knew, Scenes and Stories from a Childhood in Kowloon, tells of his boyhood when he returned from being evacuated to Australia during the Second World War. And the book has delightful illustrations by Lucy Paris. Mark and I will be talking about his book in a later programme. But first, this weekend, we talk about his parents, Marjorie and Leonard. His father was a captain in the Chinese Maritime Customs, travelling up the Yangtze to look for smugglers and pirates. Marjorie would join him in Shanghai with her bridal gown bought from Harrods. The only person she knew at her wedding was her husband, as she embarked on this trip to China from her native Wales. She wasn't uh, living there for very long because she finished her studying and then she went to work in a bank in Newport. And I don't think she'd been there very long when she met my father, who was unemployed at the time. And it was the time of the Depression? Yes, it was difficult for him to find a job on a ship, but he eventually found one going to Shanghai and we was asked whether he'd like to take it. So talking to my mother on the phone... He wanted to know what he should do, so she said, you must take the job, otherwise there's nothing here in the UK for you. So he said, I will take it if you come out to marry me. So a year later, she was on a Japanese ship to Shanghai. What a change, though. So going from Wales, where they'd met on a train, your your father chatted up your mum on a train, I think, in, in, in Wales. So this is Leonard and Marjorie. Are they, so that's Isaac Williams. Yes. Yeah, so Leonard, Leonard and Marjorie, who, you know, as you say, Marjorie goes from, from Wales to Shanghai. So that must have been a huge transition for her in the late 1930s. Yes, it was quite different. As the ship went up the Wampapo, the sights and the smells were quite different from what she'd left in Wales. But she was very interested in everything and uh, she arrived along by the Bund and my father met her and for her first ride in a rickshaw to go home to quarters that he was given. So tell me about his job. He was on a, a ship, I'm not quite sure what type of cruiser it was, but he had his own ship eventually to go up the Yangtze looking for pirates, looking for smugglers and he was away quite a lot. So this is China Maritime Customs? Yes, the Chinese Maritime Customs, which actually was run by Sir Robert Hart. So Chinese Maritime Customs, as you say, his job is aboard, you know, was it a large ship, do you know? No, it was, you know, something like a cruiser, a, a naval cruiser, but smaller, I think. And he used to go up the Yangtze, right up, quite far up, to look for smugglers, particularly of the arms and uh, gold and he had a special permit to be able to board these ships if he if they went up alongside dangerous work wasn't it oh yes he was actually shot up at one place he sent his tender ashore and when they got there they were being fired on and my father was still on the ship and uh, he wondered what was going on so he saw that they were shooting his crew and he moved I think he moved in with the smaller boat and was able to pick up his crew and then his first officer who was right next to him was shot through the neck so he lost him 
and he was actually decorated. But he was only the second person in the whole of the Chinese customs to receive this uh, bravery award. And you'll see the photo of him being decorated in the first in my first book, from dragon to dragon. Yes, so he was. Uh, uh, what an extraordinary transition going from Britain to this to this job in Shanghai with, as you say, this danger element of, of working for the Chinese maritime customs and uh, your mum there as a young bride. So we've got a photo of, of her in this book from Dragon to Dragon by Mark Isaac Williams of, of your mum in this Harrods wedding dress. And you say she knew no one at her wedding other than her husband. That's right. She had two matrons of honour and she didn't know them. And uh, my father's best man, she didn't know him either. It didn't seem to worry her, though. No, no, exciting, starting a new life. Yes. Yeah, in love with her husband. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can see that that would have had lots of charm about it. But it's interesting, because that wedding takes place in 1936, and, of course, it's really under the shadow of, you know, we've got at that point um, the Sino-Japanese War. It yes. kicks off in 1937. So there must have already been tensions, I should think, building at that time. Yes, I'm, I'm surprised, actually, because... I've never heard them say anything and I think probably as, as a child they probably spoke about it to each other or to friends but I wasn't listening. You know what children are like, not interested in that sort of thing and it's, I regret it because I now say to people if you've got an interesting story do put it down on paper so that it's there for others to read. Now your dad did write some notes, didn't he? Uh, yes, but... The names of the places he went to in China were all changed today, and it was difficult to find what, what the modern name is now. I think he had written just notes on where they went and what they found. Yeah, I'm not, not too sure about that part of it. As I say, I didn't get to talk, and I never had time to talk to. <laughs> yeah, as a child, you don't... Uh, yeah, you're, you're busy... Yes. living your life at yes. that point there the parents are the backdrop you know so yes. tell me then because you were born here in Hong Kong in 1939 so did your parents move south? My father was was up the Yangtze on his ship when some friends said to my mother you must pack up and leave because the Japanese are on their way and she didn't know what to do difficult to decide in a country you don't know about and she wasn't sure and People kept urging her, and in the end she thought she'd better, but no mobile phones in those days, so she couldn't let my father know that she was doing this. <laughs> so she decided that to come down to Hong Kong. It was supposed to be safer. Everything came to Hong Kong, including the last teaspoon. <laughs> so she came down here, and she stayed in a hostel-type place along Modi Road called the Melbourne, I think it was the Melbourne Hotel. She's down at the Melbourne Hotel when she first arrived. So, I mean, you're born in 39, but um, did you have any brothers and sisters? No, I think my father was away too much. <laughs> oh, yes, she was in the Melbourne Hotel, and she didn't want to just hang around doing nothing. She was bored, so she saw that this job was going in the caravan in the Peninsula Hotel. So she um, went along and applied and got the job. The caravan? Yes. The caravan belonged to my godmother, Eileen Kershaw, and sold ladies' silk underwear, jewellery, carpets, antiques that all came down from China. And uh, 
It was in the ground floor of the Peninsula Hotel in the arcade there for a while until after the war and my godmother set it up again as Eileen Kershaw's and at that time it was in room 236 I remember it very clearly and uh, so my mother carried on there and then my father came down from Shanghai that's right then they they lived in Pratt Avenue in a flat come not flat it was a house really in those days there weren't many flats so um it was a very nice uh, house with a balcony right round. And uh, my mother was very keen on sports, so she joined the Hong Kong hockey, ladies' hockey team, and played a lot of tennis as well. She played hockey for Shanghai originally in the interport against Hong Kong. And then when she was in Hong Kong, she played for Hong Kong against Shanghai in the interport. And... Uh, Apparently she was seven months pregnant with me and still running around the field. <laughs> so she kept herself busy with working and sports at the weekend. And your father had worked for the Chinese Maritime Customs in Shanghai. When he travels down, is he still working for Chinese Maritime Customs? Yes, they actually moved their headquarters to Hong Kong because they could see that things weren't very good in going to be in Shanghai. And it was in a short time that they um, were bombing Shanghai. So that was uh, difficult. And the next step from there was that we had to pack up here in Hong Kong and leave for Australia. So did all of you go? Not my father. He had to stay. All women and children had to leave. The government here said they must leave because they could see that there was, wasn't going to be any use to stay here. So my father phoned and said, pack up a suitcase, you're leaving for Australia. So she did that, and that's all they were allowed was one little suitcase. And uh, we were put on a ship. I was about nine months old, put on a ship to Manila. And we stayed in the Philippines for about six weeks until they could find a ship that was neutral to go through the Pacific to get to Australia. So it took six weeks to find one and uh, we finally got to Australia and were sent to Adelaide because my father's parents were living in Adelaide. So your father was Australian? No, no, no. Neither of us were. My father was born in South Africa and uh, she was born in Brecon. But uh, because I was so small, I'm not really quite sure what happened, but we were living in, in a boarding house, I think, in Watson's Bay. The trouble was that there was no money coming in and my mother had to find a job. So we were on Bondi Beach one day and I was crawling around in the sand and my mother was talking to a, another mother sitting there and saying she needed a job. There was no money coming in. So this woman said, are you serious? And my mother said, well, yes, because you know we have no money and I've got this one pointing to me so she said I'll find out from my husband and true to her word she did she found it in the standard vacuum oil company in in Sydney and she was interviewed in the morning and given the job in the afternoon and she stayed there all through the, the war working as admin or probably I'm not sure but she was very popular, she was very tall and um, had a great sense of humour. So you stay in Australia until the end of the war? Yes, 
I was had to be boarded out with a, a lady called Mrs. Ball, who had come from Shanghai earlier, with two armors. And I used to see my mother at lunchtime on a Saturday until Sunday night, and then taken back. So for the first five years of my life was a toing and froing. Not very happy about it, but there was no choice. You can remember any of that. I remember one or two little incidents, but the one that always stands out is the one with the food. We used to sit at our own little tables with a little chair for our supper, and we would be given cornflakes with hot milk, and I just couldn't eat it. I used to wretch with it. It wasn't what I wanted at all. I wanted the cornflakes nice and crisp. And so, because I wouldn't eat it, these two armors used to let everyone else go out of the room and then close the light off and let me sit there on my own. And of course, at three years old, you imagine all sorts of things. The wind was blowing trees outside, and all this movement was frightening. And so, I remember that very well, that they would do that to make me eat them, but I still didn't eat them. But things like that are outstanding. Plus another one, next door to where we lived, was a an elderly gentleman who had had lost both his legs in the First World War, called Sam. And Sam used to do his gardening. He would be digging, and I would go over there and talk to him and so-called help him to dig holes for the plants. That's another incident, and the final one was that one day we were playing in the garden, and the three American sailors came by, and they had toys that they had bought. They were new, and they wanted to give them. They said to us, "We can choose what we we like," and I chose a koala bear, which was made of sheep's wool, and he was lovely, and I had him for a long time until the moths ate all the wool, <laughs> and that was the end of him. So those are three incidents that are outstanding to me. Yes. So it's an interesting life. So your parents get married in Shanghai. Of course, your mum then comes down to Hong Kong. You're born in 1939. You're evacuated out to Australia, where you spend the remainder of the war. And、uh, what's happening to your father in the interim? Meanwhile, he was out. He he wasn't taken straight away. By the Japanese, there were a few that were able to wander around and try and do some good, or to find out what was going on. But he eventually was rounded up and taken to Stanley internment prison camp. It mainly was for families. No, I make a mistake. It wasn't for families because most women and children were supposed to have left. But there were one or two who decided to come back from Manila. Because they thought that nothing was going to happen, and they didn't want to go and leave father behind, so they returned and they got taken into the prison camp. My father was annoyed about that because the people who were there were supposed to be auxiliary nurses, doctors, anyone who could help like that or had any medical knowledge. And these women, and with the children, were taking the food. That was very little anyway from the mouths of those who were trying to do a, a proper job. First job my father had was to clean out the toilets. wasn't very, very nice, particularly as things went on. People were suffering with very bad stomachs. 
His second job was to dig the graves, pre-dugs ready for anyone who was about to not survive. People were careless in the way they thought. If they thought they were going to die, they would die because they had no reason to live. Whereas people like my father with a family would make the effort because they had something to live for. So you think that in addition to the dysentery, the beriberi or anything else that people might have got, it was also psychological? I think so. There were, my father said that there were people who was nothing wrong with them and they just died. They just gave up, which you can understand if you, you don't know how long you're going to be there. could be one year, it could have been ten. They didn't know and they weren't given much information at all. I'm talking with Mark Isaac Williams, who more recently has brought out the Hong Kong I Knew scenes and stories from a childhood in Kowloon. But at the moment, we're talking about his parents, Leonard and Marjorie. They feature in an earlier book, From Dragon to Dragon, with photographs of um, their wedding in Shanghai and as they come down to Hong Kong. So when you published From Dragon to Dragon, when was that? That was in 2002, I think. It was published in England, but I, with hindsight, I think it would have been more interesting to have it published here in Hong Kong, where people are more aware of what happened at the time. People didn't really seem to know much about it at all in, in the UK. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the obviously the European theatre of war was right on their doorstep. If they had relatives who were involved in the Pacific then that would have been more heightened for them. But yes. I think it was more about what was happening, you know, with the Atlantic convoys, with, with D-Day, well, with... Germany, of course. Mm. I mean, they... You can't the Blitz. Yes. Yeah. Yes, really worried about Germany, obviously, with the way they were bombing and so on. But at the same time, this was going on in Asia. You're evacuated to Australia. You're only nine months old when you head down in a ship to Manila and then on to Australia. Uh, do you remember coming back? I don't actually remember coming back, but I remember my father coming down to Australia when he was released from Stanley, and he came down. And from there, we went to England. So he comes down, when he comes down to Australia, was I mean, you wouldn't have seen your... Well, you wouldn't have really known your father, would you? No, I didn't know him till I was about five years old. And I was quite excited about meeting him, but when it came to it, I was uh, a bit shy. And it took me a long time to get used to it because I'd only had my mother for the first five years. And even her, even she was not with me all the time. So it was quite difficult in a way, and I was a bit jealous of him if he got near my mother. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah. yeah, it was quite difficult, really, and difficult for my mother because she was in the middle, really. It took a long time for me to get used to my father, and he was a, a very strong disciplinarian, so, of course, I didn't like that. Whenever he came back from sea, it would be, don't do this and don't do that, and I didn't like that. <laughs> you meet him when he comes down to Australia, then you're back in England. And then when do you return to Hong Kong? Well, my father was called back first because he had to get back to his job, to customs, so he went first. And we followed a few months later, and it was in the winter of 1947. Which was a terrible winter in oh, Britain. dreadful. 
but I loved it because the snow was above the doors <laughs> and I took a jar full of snow into my parents' bedroom and of course it was melting, dripping everywhere. I'd never seen it before, it was quite exciting. After a couple of months we, we got back on a ship and uh, arrived in, in Hong Kong but we stopped, on the way we stopped in Portside and these, oh yes, I remember these little boys used to stand on the ship railing They'd, they'd climb up the side and stand on the ship railing and dive in. We'd throw coins into the water and they would dive in and get them before they disappeared completely. Very clever. And then we had what they called the gully gully man and he'd put his hand in your shirt and pull out a chicken or two, you know, that sort of thing. That was uh, quite interesting. And we finally got to Hong Kong and it was pouring with rain and my father was standing on the wharf waiting for us and we took a, a rickshaw from the Star Ferry, which was close to the ocean. So took a rickshaw. I, my mother was in one, and I was on her lap, and my father took another one, and off we went to the Peninsula Hotel. And when I say that to people, people would say, what do you mean? I said, well, we lived there for four years. And they said, what? And I said, well, it wasn't like it is today. I said, you, you have to remember it was very badly treated by the Japanese. They'd had horses in there and they'd had everything you could think of. There was water in the basement, there were mosquitoes. It was a, not a five-star hotel. It was probably one if we're lucky. All the carpets had been taken from the corridors and uh, it was it was in a mess. So that was a peninsula hotel that had been obviously built as this very ostentatious railway hotel uh, or for those that are coming off the liners but are definitely coming down on the railway to Chimsa Choi at that point yes. and, uh, or the Kowloon Canton Railway. But when you're seeing it, it's, it's quite dilapidated after the war. Yes, but I wasn't worried about that. I had a friend that uh, she and I used to roller skate up and down the corridors <laughs> because there was no carpets, it was nice concrete. And what we would do is we'd start at one end and say go and we'd rush down the corridor banging on all the doors as we went by and then hiding at the end and watching to see how many came out <laughs> oh we used to have a lot of fun and there was one room where they must have had a, a, a baby but they used to keep the pram outside the door and so I used to put this friend in it and push it at full speed up the corridor and back and then tip her out somewhere and then run. Oh, it was terrible. We were so busy being naughty. <laughs> How come you lived at the peninsula for four years? Was that your mum's connection to Eileen's shop? No, it, no, it was nothing to do with her. It was uh, the government said that the hotel must give two floors to people coming back because there was nowhere to live. So they said, you must give up two floors at that time. So that's why we were there. And uh, of course, there was nothing to do. And we got up to all sorts of mischief. So this is about what, 1947, 48? Yes, about that time. What did Hong Kong look like at that time? I mean, you've come in on the ship, your father's greeted you at the wharf. So there were, would have been along the harbor, there would have been go downs. Can you just, Give me a few recollections. Well, the, the wharf was Kowloon Wharf, which is where the Worldwide Apartments was. And uh, Kennedy Town 
I, I always laugh at that because it was all go-downs. One of the things was that the Star Ferry, you walked from Chater Road straight onto the ferry. You didn't uh, go upstairs and along wharfs, you just walked straight on. And there were these planks that you walked on together, but there was a space between each one. And I would clutch my ten cents, which was the fare at the time, in case I dropped it between... Between the planks. And that would be the end for me getting home. Yes. So you're eight years old about when you're, when you're returning to Hong Kong? Yes, about yes, seven. So what were you doing about your schooling? Well, somehow I was taken into Kowloon Junior, which uh, I now overlook over here, but it isn't the same one. The one I went to was on the corner of La Salle Road and Boundary Street. And uh, every morning, the PWD truck that had benches inside would come and pick us up at the hotel. So there was a PWD truck? Yes. Why, why PWD? Well, I think it was a suitable... They had steps at the back, and we went up and we sat on these benches with ropes to hang on to so we didn't fall over. I think they just found what they could find to take us. I remember one day at school we were playing in the middle of the playground, we were playing marbles, and we had to scrape away the soil to make it nice and smooth. And we came across something metal. And so we dug a bit more and realized that it was a bomb. So we had to go and report it. And we were all evacuated and the army was called to, to uh, see to it. But it was a dud, so nothing happened. We were very disappointed. <laughs> we were hoping to blow up the school, I think. <laughs> But no, there must have been all sorts of armaments and bombs around the place after, because, I mean, it had been yes. heavily bombed. When you're, when you're returning to Hong Kong, I mean, and you're staying at the, for four years at the Peninsula Hotel, what state was Hong Kong in? Was there a lot of repairs needing to be done? Yes, there was a lot to be done. And along Middle Road, there were buildings along there that had been bombed and were all just rubble, really. Mr. Gimson, who had arrived in Hong Kong just before the war, was in the camp. Yeah, Frank Gimson. Yes, and he took over and got everybody sorted out and everyone was doing their bit, clearing up and, and doing. And soon Hong Kong started to come back to what it was. It was so different, though, that when I think about the Chim Sa Choi Railway down to the Star Ferry, people used to come down every morning and then cross over on the ferry to go to work. Most of the jobs seemed to be on Hong Kong side rather than Kowloon at the time. But Kowloon was very open and I've always liked it better than Hong Kong side, which I feel now particularly is so congested with buildings. Whereas I think we still have a lot of space in Kowloon. But you're much more a Kowloon boy. Yes, I, I've always thought about that, really. I, I would never want to live on Hong Kong. I, during our period in the peninsula, some friends of my parents were going on six months leave, which they used to do in those days, six months every three years. And they were going, and they asked my father if we'd like to live in the flat. They had a Scotty dog. And, of course, I was very excited about that. And he said yes, so we had six months in Dina House in Duddle Street and uh, 
That was fun. I used to take Scotty for a walk up into St. John's Cathedral grounds up there. And then we had to go back to the hotel after that. But um, that was a nice break. And I got up to more nonsense. Those big banyan trees, you know, in the St. John's Cathedral were perfect for climbing. <laughs> My thanks to botanical artist and Kowloon native Mark Isaac Williams talking there about his parents and boyhood. I look forward to another chat with Mark soon to talk about his book, The Hong Kong I Knew, Scenes and Stories from a Childhood in Kowloon. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage. Mm-hmm.